praise. Can we give God a hand clap of praise? For he is a worthy God that is worthy to be praised. Amen. Amen. Do me a favor. Grab your Bibles real quickly for me. Go with me to Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 19. Go with me to Matthew chapter 19. Uh, I want to read something for you on today. Man, y'all might not realize it, but God is doing something amazing here at Believer City Church, man. God is doing something amazing in the lives, the growth that we're experiencing in both 1030 and 830 service, the growth we're experiencing and people who are serving and leading in this church is something that we're so grateful for. And I just pray that God continues to allow that growth to continue to spread in each and every last one of our lives. Amen. Listen, grab your Bibles real quickly. Go with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19 and just repeat after me and say, Father God, I'm here today seeking a word from you. So open my ears that I can hear. Touch my heart so that I will feel and renew in me a right mind so that I will do. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. I want to look at verse 16. I would love to identify those who are worshiping with us online, but I don't have my phone with me, but I know that you're there. And so if you're worshiping with us online, we thank you. Take this as an opportunity to share this message and what God is doing uh, in this place on today. Matthew chapter 19, beginning at verse 16. If you got it, say, I got it. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Familiar passage of scripture that we probably have heard about. Uh, It may be new to some, and that's okay if it is. As long as you're getting the word, that's all that matters. It's the word of God from the New American Standard Bible, and it reads like this. It says, and someone came to him and said, teacher, what good things shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, this is Jesus, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20. Then the young man said to him, All these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. And come, follow me. Verse 22, mostly probably the saddest part of this text. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. For a moment today, if you allow me, if you can lend me your ears, I want to talk to you from the subject matter of the journey to become. You may be seated on today. Amen. We are so grateful for you guys being here on today. I'm so grateful for our children's staff 
who are in the back room. Uh, we, we bought a tent so that we can expand our children's area outside. And I was like, you know what? Forget it. We're just going to bust the walls out in the back. <laughs> we're just going to open that whole room, make it one big room. So, because it just seems like we're steady growing and we love that. We have plans to purchase new property, do great things. And so we're excited about that. But we want to make sure that we can meet the needs of the people who are here right now. And for those of you who have babies, because the nursery is not open today, I want to tell you, baby, it's okay. They can cry. They can scream. That's my amens and my hallelujahs. Uh, so if anybody look at you sideways, come holler at me after service. I got them. Uh, I want to talk to you about this journey. We've been on a series for three weeks now entitled The Journey. The series is designed to be, and I've said this over and over, an assimilation process. Being a young church, a new church, a growing church, oftentimes people come from different churches. Uh, some people are coming to our church that have never been to church before. And as a result of it, uh, we wanted to make sure that we are just not having people come in and just sitting in. We wanted to make sure people knew how to get connected. So you can call it a new member's orientation, the next steps process, whatever it is. And so Theony is always trying to get me to sit down and put what's in my brain on paper. And I don't have that ability. It's just not how I'm wired. I can have all of these great ideas, but I don't have time to sit it down and write it down. And so I said, you know what? The easiest way for you to get what I'm looking for is for me to preach it. That's about the only way I'm going to be able to write it down. So I said, I'm going to preach an assimilation series that the whole church is going to get to experience about the journey. Because what's going to happen after this is they're going to take that, they're going to write things down out of it, and they're going to make this package that new people that come after us, uh, they will offer weekly classes called The Journey where people can assimilate and say, you know what, now that I'm here, I want to know what it is to be here. And so the assimilation process happens in four steps. There's a journey to believe, a journey to belong, a journey to become, and a journey to began. Those are four things that I believe every be believer needs to go through at some point in time of their life. The first thing is the journey to believe. We talked about that two weeks ago. In order to be a part of anything as it relates to the church, I need you to understand it's very important for you to be a part of the kingdom of God first. And you, in order to be a part of the kingdom of God, all you have to do is believe. That's what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, what? Believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is the ultimate goal for every lost person is to just accept Christ. I think about the man who was on the cross when Jesus Christ got crucified. He didn't get the opportunity to live a perfect life. He was on that cross as a thief or a robber. His life was jacked up, but he found Jesus on that Christ, on that cross. And on that cross, he accepted Christ, and Jesus told him, in, in heaven, I will remember you. You will be with me and my Father. So all of us that are sinners, that are, that are lost, that are born into a life of sin, just because we are human, have to come to a point that if you believe in God as it relates to God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, you have to believe. And by believing, you are willing to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that was born of the Virgin Mary, that died on the cross and rose again so that we can have everlasting life. That is the first step for every believer as it relates to the Christian faith is to believe in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If we can't educate you and get you to that point where you have a conviction that you believe in the Trinity, then it's going to be impossible for you to move forward with the body of Christ. It's going to be impossible if you don't think, if you don't believe like the rest of the believers for you to move forward because you will be confused. And it's not saying that once you accept Christ, you got all the answers because that's not it. 
That's not the reality. It's just coming to the fact that you believe that there is a God that has divided himself in three parts for humanity, one part as a creator, one part as a redeemer, and one part as a guider, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The concept is to believe. And so if we can get past the point of believing, the next stage is to belong. Because the worst thing for anybody that believes is has nowhere to belong. Because the reality is that once you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, there are some environments that have to change. You can't hang out at the trap house like you used to. Some things have to change. And so you need a new place for you to go to. And the new place for you to go to is not Club Shea, but it's a place like Believer City. It's a church. You have to find somewhere where there's other people that think like you want to go. It's not nothing new. It's just human nature. If you're a nerd, you go to the library. If you like to dance, you go to the club. If you're a believer, you come to church. That's what it is. And a lot of people have used the pandemic as an excuse not to come to church, which really the pandemic allowed you to have... Uh, The pandemic allowed you to hide the real excuses why you didn't want to come to church. And so now people are saying, you know what, Uh, you know, I need to get back, but I don't really want to get back. Uh, But the problem is it can't be the pandemic because the pandemic didn't keep you out of the grocery store. The pandemic didn't keep you from going to work. Uh, I'm just saying I've seen you some places that the pandemic should have kept you from, but yet and still you were there. And, And so I can't say it's the pandemic. I can't blame that. But what I can say is that some of you, like me at one point in time, have been hurt by the church. We've experienced hurt. We've had preachers and pastors that hurt us. We've had people and ushers that hurt us. We've had parents that said they were believers and that they were doing the right thing, but were doing all the wrong thing. And so they didn't set a good example. And so a lot of us have been born into this culture of why do I need the church? I can believe in God without even going to the church. But I want to suggest to you that the church is the best place that you can be, especially if you're a new believer, because oftentimes we get into this thing, the old saints called it backsliding. That's what they called it, because you accepted Jesus. Christ, but then you went back to living the same lifestyle that you were living. That's, that's what they call backside. And oftentimes what we fail to understand, the reason why we have to come to the church is because the church is the one place that can encourage us and remind us to get back there and try to do the right thing again. Nobody else is going to do that. MO3 ain't going to do that while he's telling you everybody ain't your friend, everybody ain't your partner. It's not going to happen. You have to find yourself in an environment where you can get fed the word of God. The reality is that many of us don't even open up the Bible during the week. And so as a result of it, we at least need an hour of all the countless hours we have during the week where we get fed the word of God. And where does that happen? At the church. And so many of us need to understand we have to get into the church because the church is the one thing that's going to help our marriages, it's going to help our jobs. All of these things is going to be coming to an understanding and we're going to get a new grasp on life because we're in the church. So We spent week two talking about the desire to belong. We want you to take the journey to belong because as a believer, our goal is to get you connected with the body of Christ. You don't have to be connected with this body of Christ. You can be connected to any church. We just want you to get connected to the church. Why? Because if you're in a place that can help you, nine times out of ten, you won't relapse. That's the reality. If you're in a place that can help you, nine times out of ten, you won't go back to doing the things that you used to do. And so we want to encourage you to get connected to the church. But today, we're taking a different journey. We're taking a journey from believing, from belonging, to becoming. And the reason why this journey is so important, because many of us, the reason why we don't set foot in the church, many of us, the reason why we don't share the gospel is because we think we have to be perfect. The reality is that you don't. Every believer in the Bible had problems. 
Every last one of them were jacked up. They didn't have things worked out. The only perfect person that we see in Scripture is Jesus Christ himself. And so the reason why the journey to become is so important, because the journey to become talks about discipleship. It talks about the journey to begin to have change and transformation in your life. The reason why this is so important, because maybe I can get more people, especially men, to be a part of the church if they had, if they had an understanding that being here on Sunday don't mean you perfect. Me standing on this stage does not mean I'm perfect. I got problems too. I got things going on in my life. The only thing is that I spend a little bit more time in the Bible and God has called me to teach the word of God instead of usher and greet people. He's put me in a different position. I'm not the first leader with problems. So if you're going to leave this church because your leader have problems, you're going to have a life full of problems because everyone you will encounter that is still walking the face of this earth has problems. The more money you got, the more problems you got. The broker you are, the more problems you got problems seem to find people. That's just how things work. And so I want to talk to you about the journey to become because what the journey to become is going to encourage you is how to make it through your problems. How to stay faithful to the kingdom of God. How to stay faithful to the church while you're going through things in your life. That's what this is all about. And I think about this as I think about this particular scripture and I think about what we're going to talk about today because I think a lot of people think that your salvation ends when you say yes to Jesus. Your journey ends when you say yes to Jesus. And the reality is it doesn't. It just begins. Your journey just begins when you say yes to Christ. For a lot of people, they thought life was going to be so easy after they said yes to Christ. I'm sorry. It's not. You're going to still experience heartache. You're going to still experience pain. But I want to encourage you to take this thing called discipleship seriously. And when I look in the Greek, what I come to understand about the word disciple, it, discipleship means an individual, a person who is seeking, who is learning from another. They're taking a journey to say that they're learning from another. They're saying, you know what, I don't know enough, and so I want to put myself in a position where I can glean from you. I can grow from you. This is what I want to experience in my life. And so discipleship as it relates to the church oftentimes has been misused because we've discipled people to be ushers. We've discipled people to be worship leaders. But what we really need to disciple people is how to be real believers, how to live the life that God has called you to live. That's what we want to work on today. How do you live the life that that God has called you to live? And if you've been a part of our church, you know that I believe in four principles, L factors, learn, live, love, and lead. Those are the four principles to what I believe every, every, every step of your discipleship is about learning, living, loving, and leading. Why learning? Because when we all start something new, we don't know enough. Now, anytime we start something new, we don't know enough. And so we have to be willing to put ourselves in a position to learn. One of the worst things you can do is start something new and act like you know it all. I got an individual on my job right now that's on the verge of being fired because he won't admit what he does not know. He comes in and says, I know everything. I've been doing this six years. I got this. You ain't got to tell me this. And so when you tell me something like that, I think I don't got to spend a lot of time with you. I ain't got to train you. I'm going to get out of the way. The problem comes into play when you start making a fool of yourself because you don't want to acknowledge that you are doing something that you don't know. All you got to do is, and so what happens is I go and I try to talk to him and I was like, man, hey, you make a mistake, let's do it. Oh, man, I know, I know, I know. And I'm like, dude, you don't know. You about to flip over a truck right now because you don't know. The worst thing for you to do is act like you know what you don't know. But can I suggest that many people come to church day in and day out, many people after they accept Christ, they don't want to look like a fool, and so they act like they know, but the reality is your acting like you know is what makes you look like a fool. The best thing you can do is say, I just don't know. 
I don't know what's next. I don't know what the Bible says about this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. I don't know. Am I supposed to stand? Am I supposed to sit? Do I clap? Do I sing? I don't know. What, what do I do? Can, can somebody help me? You put yourself in a position to say, I am a disciple and I'm willing to learn. And then once you learn, the next step is for you to live. The concept is that I teach you something and then you take it and you try to put it into practice. Many of us fail in discipleship because we learn, we hear, and it makes us feel good on Sunday. God is great. He's amazing. We go home and we take all the hashtags that Pastor has said. We post it online, all the scripture that somebody put, we post it online. And for Sunday, we some real saints. We Holy Ghost filled. Water baptized. Ain't nothing going to mess with us on Sunday. We are filled with the Holy Ghost on Sunday. But on Monday, the minute somebody crossed our path and those things we're supposed to put in practice, we like, homeboy, don't test me. you about to get the real meat. Look, Jesus still working on me. You better watch it. Those are the things that come out of us because we, we choose not to apply what we've learned. When you learn, you have to transition to a position that says, I'm willing to live. After you transition to the position to live, then the next thing I need you to understand is you have to be willing to love. The reason why this is so important, because you can learn something, you can live something, but that don't mean you love it. And I need you to get to a point that oftentimes it's what you do out of repetition that you end up loving. Can I suggest that I don't like picking up my shoes and clothes off the floor, but after my wife making me do them enough time, I finally learned a way to love it? It, it? Just because if I can pick them up as I'm going along, then maybe it won't be so much for me to have to pick up at one time. I still have not got to the point where I fully have fallen in love with cleaning up, but I'm working on it. It's a standard thing. I'm learning it and I'm living it. I'm trying to put it in practice. And, and so the next step of my discipleship in my own home it's the love cleaning up. I, I'm going to figure it out, baby. Don't leave me. Just stick with me. We're going to work this thing out. But that's the next process. Because anything that you don't love, you won't continue to do. Anything that you don't love, you won't continue to do. You'll try to do it. It doesn't work out for you. It doesn't move you. It does not inspire you. You will stop. Believers have to fall in love with serving God. We have to fall in love with living for God. It's not something that's always going to feel comfortable. It's not something that's always going to make you feel good. But you have to learn how to fall in love with it. And the only way you fall in love with it is, is that you begin to experience the results of being obedient to what God has asked you to do. Learn, live, love, and then the next stage is lead. Because once you learn it, once you live it, once you love it, God is going to send you somebody else that needs to know it. And so then you lead them. You begin to lead them. And the beautiful thing is I love about this because when we draw this up there, and you got to remember, make it a circle because it never ends. You learn, you live, you love, you lead. And guess what? Now that you're learning to lead, you got to learn all over again. It's a new level of learning that you have to be taken to. And once you learn that, then you get back to the lead and you're leading somebody else how to lead. And you got to learn something else again because you got to now learn how to lead the leaders. Nobody can tell you this more than me. I am used to working by myself. I am very good at working by myself. I can figure some things out. I might complain that I have no help, but I, I am always successful when I'm by myself. I will not let myself down. I will push through some things. I know how I think. I don't have to bounce things off anybody. I am fine by myself. But God doesn't see fit to grow ministries with people by themselves. And so God sends me people. And people in my life oftentimes are problematic. And it's not because the people are the problem. It's because I'm the problem. Because I know, God, I'm good. You call me by myself. Let me do it by myself. And so what God is having to do for me now 
is he's having to transition me from a place of where I've already learned live, love, and lead to now he's teaching me how do you work with other people? How do you work with leaders? And so I'm having to learn that thing all over again. I think I thought I had this thing figured out. The church is getting packed. Life is growing. Everything, I ain't struggling financially no more. My life is good. Wife ain't trying to leave me. We good. But nope, there's another lesson that I have to learn. Discipleship is a cycle that never ends. The minute that you think that you know everything about what it is to know, you have failed. Marriage, there's a discipleship cycle that never ends. On your job, there's a discipleship cycle that never ends. In the church, there's a discipleship cycle that never ends. When you begin to look at, and let me put this in, parenting, there is a discipleship cycle that never ends. I thought it was till I got eight, till they got 18 and I was going to be good. Come to find out there's some people that say even after 18, you're still responsible for them. I'm not understanding it. I have not accepted that revelation yet because I have a plan. When they turn 18, we go on to Paris and we check it out. But obviously there's a discipleship cycle that never ends. And so today, the reason why I share all of this with you, this ain't even a message. This is just a setup. Right. It's because of the fact that discipleship is important. In your life, as it relates to your faith, as it relates to your family, family, as it relates to your finances, discipleship is important. If you don't know, you need to get up under somebody that's willing to teach you so that you can begin to learn, live, love, and lead. In your life right now, you should be able to evaluate the different seasons that you are in and whatever relationship you're in, whatever church you're in, on your job, or you're in a position of learning, living, loving, or leading. You should be able to say, you know what, where I am right now, I'm in a position to learn how to love because I don't like what I'm going through right now. You should be able to declare that I'm in a position where God is calling me to lead. You should know without a shadow of a doubt where you are in your discipleship journey, on your discipleship cycle. But today, I want to talk about why many of us never reach the point of learning, living, loving, and leading. The reason why many of us don't reach the point of learning, living, loving, and leading is because we end up just like the rich, young ruler. We end up just like the rich, young ruler. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible when I think about this individual because it's one of the saddest stories in the Bible. Everybody else has a name. Everybody else has a name. And, and this individual is known by what he has. He's known by what he has because he makes a decision not to do what God wants him to do. He comes to Jesus. He encounters Jesus on the road. And when he encounters Jesus on the road, he asks Jesus that question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him that all you have to do is keep the commandments. What commandments? The Ten Commandments. The same commandments that God gave to Moses to share with the people. I want to share with you the importance of this because at this time, accepting Christ was not the factor. Christ was still alive. He had yet not died. He had yet not rose again. So what was bounding the people to make it into the kingdom of heaven was to fulfill the law, the law of Moses, which were the Ten Commandments. And so Jesus himself even said, keep the commandments. You keep that up, you're good to go. Jesus holds fast to that. And this young man says, you know what? I've been doing that, but I'm still missing something. I still feel empty. I still don't feel complete. The reason why I'm sharing this with you is because just like this young man has kept the Ten Commandments, for him, the equivalent for us is accepting Jesus Christ. 
Now we accept Christ. As a result of it, we live the Ten Commandments. We're not bound by the law anymore, just doing the Ten Commandments, being a good person. No, we have to accept Jesus Christ as the ultimate and final sacrifice. And this is the thing that many of us, like the rich young ruler, has done what we're supposed to do. We've accepted Christ. But the struggle is that even though we've accepted Christ, we still don't feel complete. That's why I love in the Bible where he says, Jesus tells them, in order for you to be complete, this is what you have to do. I want to suggest to you today that salvation is not discipleship. Many of us have accepted Christ, but we have not become disciples. Disciples are people who are willing to live for Christ. Salvation is great if you're already on the verge of dying and you're on your deathbed and you need somebody to pray a prayer with you and you accept Jesus Christ and 10 minutes later you're dead. You're good. That is perfectly fine. You've accepted Christ. You've made it into eternal life. That is what guarantees you to make it in. Can I suggest that your blessings in life as you continue to live is related to you being a disciple? Related to you being obedient to the word of God and doing what God is asking you to do? And many of us, because of the fact we stopped at yes to you, God, and we have not said yes to your will, God, we are not yet disciples. We are struggling. And this is why we don't know how is it that I've joined church and my life has gotten right now. I say yes to God, but my marriage is on the brink of failure. We don't know how is it that I've joined church and my finances are all still in shambles because Jesus was supposed to be the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the light. He was supposed to be all that I needed. And somehow I've said yes and things ain't working out. And so what many of us do is we take Jesus back with that 14-day guarantee. It didn't happen in 14 days. So, listen, I need a refund so I can go back to doing what I was doing. Because maybe it wasn't working, but yes, I was still getting by. Things were trying to come together. I want to suggest today that we have to say yes continually to who God is. Jesus offers the rich young ruler an opportunity to become what I consider the 13th disciple. We could actually know this dude's name. He could have wrote a book of the Bible, but his decision kept him from reaching that next level. His decision is what kept him from moving forward. And this is what I want to suggest, that many of us don't have or don't know what it takes to be a disciple. Jesus comes to him and he says, listen, all you have to do is take everything that you have, sell what you have, and once you sell what you have, take the proceeds, give it to the poor, and after you give it to the poor, come and follow me. Come and follow me. The Bible says that this rich young ruler was so distraught by the fact that God had asked him, that Christ had asked him to give up everything that he has because he had a lot. And he was so worried about what he had that he could not move forward to what God has asked us to do. Can I suggest that the reason why many of us can't be disciples is because we're worried about who we have or what we have? And we're not willing to release the who we have or what we have to live for God? There are some people who have come, and I ain't trying to kick nobody out of their house. I ain't trying to tell nobody what to do with their life. But there are some women that's with some men that they ain't married to, and they know they shouldn't be doing what they're doing, but they're doing it anyway. And I want to suggest just maybe if somebody really wanted to be with you, that they would try to honor you. They would lead you in the right. I'm just suggesting that maybe they would try to lead you in the direction. And brothers, I ain't knocking you because I was you too. I just know better, so I got to do better. And this is what I want to suggest to you today, that maybe if you put it on lockdown, that he would actually stay. Step up. I'm, I'm sorry. Y'all, I just lost half my men in the church. Well, that's how she got me. I mean, she put her foot down and it just worked. I, ju I just want to suggest, I want to suggest that you want the best that God has for you. Yes. 
I want to suggest that you want the best that God has for you. And the reality is that the best that God has for you comes through living out his word. The reason why many of us never experience the fullness of who God is because we're steady trying to make God compromise. We're steady trying to make God compromise. We're trying to make his vision meet our vision. And the problem is when we try to make his vision meet our vision, this is what God does. He just takes his vision and get out the way. You do what you do until you realize it does not work. And then once you realize it does not work, come holler at me because my vision never changed. The reality is that we base our vision off of Instagram and all the other social media platforms when really God says my vision is just based off of how I created you. I know what I created you for. I know who I created you for. And I know what you have the ability to do. So whenever you decide to submit to my vision, we can make some things happen. But many of us are like the rich young ruler. We're so worried about who we got and what we got that we don't want to move forward with God. And so this man walks away from Jesus. Can you imagine being in the face of God, knowing that he's recovered sight to the blind, knowing that he, he's healed the lame, knowing that he fed the 5,000, knowing all the things that he's done, being in his face and saying, you know what, God, instead of serving you, I'm going to be with this person. Instead of serving you, I'm going to do these things. He turned his back on God. And although many of us are not physically in the place to turn our back on God, Jesus Christ is not physically walking on the earth with us. Many of us are turning our backs on God every day spiritually. Every day we're turning our backs on God because of the fact that we choose things, people over God. And as a result of it, we continue to fail to be the best that we can be. And then we have the audacity to get mad at God. God, why ain't you moving on my behalf? God, why don't you love me? God, I can't see you. I can't feel you. Well, maybe it's because of the fact that you left him right where he was. He didn't leave you. That's the beautiful thing I love about this text. I didn't even get to tell first service. Did you notice that Jesus didn't leave him? He left Jesus? Jesus shared with him what to do. And and I believe if, if he needed to find Jesus, he could find him right there. But he turned and walked away from Jesus. Many of us feel so alone like God is not with us because we left God, not God has left us. His word says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But we have the ability to leave him because the reality is that God doesn't dwell in darkness. Wherever he is, there is light. There is liberty. And so you have to understand that you have to be in the place where God is. God doesn't have to be in the place where you are. And so this is what I want to give you, and then we're gone. This is what I want to give you. There's three things that you have to understand in order to become a disciple. Three things that you have to get. Thing number one that you have to understand is that becoming a disciple, becoming a disciple requires us to develop a true desire. In order to be a disciple, you have to have a true desire that this is why you want to do what you want to do. When I first came to church, I tell y'all this story all the time. The only reason I came is because this beautiful woman told me, if you don't come to church, we ain't going to make it. And so I came to church. I was sitting there. I had my arms folded up. Didn't want to talk to nobody. Better not nobody hug me. Don't do any of that. I don't want none of that in my life. That's not who I am. I just wanted to make sure it was understood. I literally probably didn't put on deodorant because I didn't want anybody around me. That was my behavior in the church at that time. And the reality is that even though she drug me to church, The only way the church began to get inside of me is I had to have a desire to change. My desire could not be to keep her. My desire had to be about knowing him. Once my desire changed, then then my conduct, my behavior changed. The reason why many of us are not disciples is because we don't have a desire. We have a desire to serve. We have a desire to be seen. We have a desire to settle. 
but we don't have a desire to seek. We have to have a desire to seek God. The first thing that we see in this text is this young man has a desire. He comes to Jesus, and he asks the question, what must I do to be saved? When Jesus gives him the answer, he says, you know what? I'm still not complete. What else do I need to have? And this is where we have to get as believers. We have to get to a point where we, want, we desire an answer to all of our problems. When you get to the point that you desire an answer to all of your problems, then maybe you'll quit doing the things that lead to your problems. One of the biggest problems in my house is my wife being a bully and picking with my shoes. I love my shoes. That's, what my, that's my thing. It's my shoes and my, I mean, it's my wife and then my shoes. Um, and so I love my shoes. And she has a tendency when I'm tired and I don't have the strength to put my shoes where they belong, she has a tendency to take these valuable things and stack them on top of each other as if they have no value. This is one of the worst things you can do to a brother like me, is stack my, the bottom of my shoes on top of another one of my shoes. I bind thee in the name of Jesus. And, and so this is, see, these things happen. And so what I had to do is I had to develop a desire to pick up my own shoes. I ain't asked y'all for all that. I had to develop a desire to pick up my own shoes. The desire didn't come to make her happy. The desire came from keeping putting my shoes on top of other shoes. If I want to protect the integrity of my shoes, I better put them where they belong. And so I do the best I can to pick them up and make sure to put them in their boxes where they belong so I don't have no problems. And if I can't get them to their boxes, I have a special place where I line them up together and scoot them in so she knows that I'm going to come back and deal with these. Just don't mess with these now. There had to be a desire inside of my heart to change. No matter what she wanted for me, I had to desire it. And in order for the desire to be built, it had to become a problem for me. It was never a problem for my shoes to be around the house. The problem was when my shoes were going to be damaged by a person because I left them around the house. The desire had to be inside of me. When desire finds, when God, when your desire to be with God finds its place inside of you, then you don't have to worry about somebody changing you. You will change yourself. Your wife, your husband won't have to change you. You will change yourself. Your children won't have to change you. You will change yourself because your desire is to find an answer to your problem. Why do I keep making the same mistakes? Why do I keep dating the wrong people? Why is my marriage not to the level where it needs to be? Why, why, why? And Jesus is the answer. He shows that. And so here it is in the text. He pursues him with a desire. So my first suggestion to you, if you really want to be a desire that reaches the point where you're willing to learn, live, love, and lead, get your desire. Can I get you to the point where you stop saying that you want to change, but you actually do desire to change? Stop saying that you want better, but you actually do desire better. I need to make sure that you understand that. See, some of you think because you blocked him or her on your Facebook, but you keep going and looking at their Facebook page after you didn't block them, that you've shown that you're over them. You are not over them. You're still struggling with it. You deleted their phone number. Matter of fact, you changed that number to don't answer, but every time they called, you still answer. You're still struggling with it. When you have a desire to move away, you will change your whole number and not give it to anybody that is associated with them because you want something different. We as believers have to have a desire to not live a life of sin anymore. We have to have that desire to not struggle with the things and suffer with sin anymore. And until you get that desire, it's impossible for you to be a disciple. I did not say it's impossible for you to be saved. 
Because all you have to do to be saved is accept Jesus Christ. But being saved gets you into the kingdom of heaven. Being a disciple gets you to access the benefits of God while you're still here on this earth. I don't know about you, but I want to access the benefits of God while I'm still here on the earth. And so here it is. The first thing that you have to do is you have to require, it requires you to develop a desire. The second thing that I need you to understand is that if you're going to become a disciple, becoming requires you to make the tough decisions. You have to make the tough decisions. It's a hard thing to do, but the reality is that's the power that God leaves in your hands. He leaves you the power to make the tough decisions and decide whether you're going to choose to do right or whether you're going to choose to do wrong. It's in your hands. This is what Jesus says. After he says, Jesus, I've done everything. Jesus says, take everything that you have, sell it, give the proceeds to the poor. He didn't say, give it to me and I'll, I'll work it out for you. He says, you have a responsibility, if you really want this life, to cut ties with everything that has nothing to do with me. You think because you came to church today and and you want to change and you want your life to be better that you're going to go home and God going, whoop, it's fixed. I'm going to tell y'all like God, like my wife told me. She says, you think that you just go to sleep and this house is magically clean when you wake up in the morning. Like there's a fairy godmother that just comes in and whoopee and whoopee. That's how she does me. That's, you you want to know how this woman talks to me? That's how she does me. She's like, no, it doesn't, no, there's nobody just coming through here with a wand. She says it's not how it happens. It's her staying up after everybody is in bed trying to get things in order and then we just come right back and mess it up the next day. And so I understand the frustration that y'all mothers and women go through. I ain't going to never say it again, but I'm putting it out there today. I understand that we are problematic for you and your lives. And so she makes sure that to understand that ain't no wand just going to fix this thing. Can I help you understand a wand didn't get you in the problems that you're in and a wand ain't going to take you out? Can I get you to the point where you put yourself in that hole? You're going to have to dig yourself out? If nothing else, if you're telling somebody, you know what, we can't do this anymore. We have to do better. If nothing else for you saying, you know what, this is not the place for me, I have to take a leap of faith and move on to do something better. You have to make the decision. But this is where many of us are. God, I'll follow wherever you want me to go. Just show me where you want to go. But when you show me where you want to go, make sure they have a 401k. Make sure they got everything for them. And make sure he's six foot seven. Make sure everything. God, I will go wherever it is that you want me to go. But I need everything to be in line. God, if this, 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 this ain't there, then I know it ain't you, God. I know it ain't you because, God, you know what I will do jump for and what I won't jump for. That's how many of us come to God. And so here God is saying, I made a way, but I mean, all that wasn't on the list. And so many of us will never follow God and we won't make the tough decisions to take the leap of faith, to take that next step to say, God, you know what? I may not have all the answers, but I'm going to follow you because you have the answers. Can I tell you over and over in the Bible, people did what God asked them to do. Can I also suggest that when God asks you to do something, it does not make sense. There is nothing that God makes sense. Why? Because things that make sense are things that you can do on your own. When you know that it's a God thing, it's because you do it and it does not make sense. He makes things work out. He puts the pieces together. And those are the times where you actually see God shine. When God does his thing, because you know that it's not in your power. It's not in your will. It's not by your own might. It's only by the grace of God that you're able to do the things that you're doing. But in order for you to reach that point, you have to make the tough decisions. Many of us never encounter God because we won't make those tough decisions. We won't say to ourselves, you know what? It's time. It's time to change. 
So we have a desire, but we lack the ability to make the decisions. The rich young ruler had the same problem because when he was presented to the opportunity, he was like, hmm, no, nah, I can't. Jesus, man, you want me to give up this? I did the commandments and you still want that? And so because of that, many of us will literally say, God, you know what? Maybe it's not the right time. Maybe I'll give you a little bit longer, Jesus. Maybe you'll change your mind of what you need. I'll come back, Jesus, when you, when you get it together and we walk away. Because of the fact that he came with a desire, but because of the fact that he was not strong enough to make the tough, the tough decision, he walks away. Because he walks away, we don't find the third principle that it takes to be a disciple. But I want to suggest to you from the studies of other disciples from when, when Jesus asked Simon Peter to give up the fish. Well, he didn't ask him to give up the fish. He just asked him to follow him. And Simon gave up the fish and followed him. When Jesus told Paul on the road to Damascus that you need to follow me, that you need to change your ways, Saul on the road to Damascus. And Saul changed and he begins to run for the gospel and does what he has to do. What I do find is that there's a third principle that it takes to be a disciple. But you only find that principle when you're willing to complete the first, when you're willing to accept the fact that you have a desire, when you're willing to know that you've made a conscious, tough decision and you're going to rock with it. The third and final principle that I need you to understand is that becoming requires you to display total dedication. That's the one thing that every other disciple that shows me that they're successful in this whole process is that they were totally dedicated to Christ, to the life that God had asked them to lead. Why do I stress the importance of total dedication? Because on your journey to be a disciple, things will not always work out the way that you want them to do. If you put God on a 14-day turnaround and it doesn't happen in 14 days, the problem with most of us is that we turn around and we go back. We go back. We fight all that progress that we made. We turn around and we go back simply because things did not happen or turn out the way that you wanted them to turn out. The reality is that we have to understand that as it relates to being a part of the kingdom of God, as it relates to being a believer, it's always going to be a fight. What's that movie? Celia say, all I had to do all my life, I had to fight. We always going to have to fight. You might as well get into this thing, understanding that a fight come with it. That's what we used to say in the back day. I hit you in your mouth and a fight come with it, whatever. You got to understand that as believers, you always going to have to fight. And that means that you're going to have to develop the, 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 the tenacity to push through some things. When life gets hard, when things seem like they're not going go to go your way, you have to be willing to push through things. You have to say, you know what, despite what people say about me, despite how people look at me, despite what I may feel like I lose, I'm yet going to still trust God. I will be determined to continue to push forward. I will be determined to continue to worship him and give him glory. I will hold fast to living according to his word. And it's in those moments where you decide, you know what, I'm going to do whatever it takes to honor God that God shows up. It's in those moments. See, this rich young ruler, he doesn't get to experience the fullness of who God is. There's not one person in the Bible that God has taken from or asked to give up that he didn't get more. So I can only imagine had he had surrendered and submit what he had, God would have done greater. Paul, the formerly known as Saul, was one of the greatest soldiers in the Roman army that persecuted Christians. And then God gives his life, turns it around, and makes him one of the top. The New Testament, he didn't even walk with Jesus as long as everybody else. But he wrote most of the New Testament. Many of us wouldn't have an understanding about what life is if it had not been for Paul. God elevated Paul from here to there simply because he said, I'm making, I have a desire, I'm determined, and I'm going to push through it. Many of us will never reach our full potential 
because we won't push through. We break too easy. We break too easy, and as a result of it, we'll never reach the point of where God wants us to be. God has great plans for all of us. But the reality is, in order for you to reach the point where God has great plans for you, you have to begin to understand that I just not want to say yes to God. I don't want to be one of those people that just know who Jesus is. I want to live for Jesus. Being saved is knowing who Jesus is. Being a disciple is being willing to live for Jesus. Jesus tells him to give up everything that he has and follow him. My question is, what is God asking you to give up that's holding you back from being what God has asked you to be? What is it that God is asking you to surrender to submit that's holding you back from being everything that God has asked you to be? Two things that stood out to me in this text. He came seeking a desire to be complete, but he left willingly still broken. Can I help you understand today as you leave this place, you've come seeking the desire to be complete. And whatever element of your life you've seeking the desire to be complete, it's up to you if you leave still broken. It's up to you if you leave saying, God, you know what? I don't want you to have rule in my marriage. I'm not going to give this up to you. I'm not going to release this. I'm going to figure this thing out on my own. If you want to live a life broken, that is totally up to you. But if you want to live a life that's complete, the only way is that you go to the, through the process of being the disciple that God has asked you to be. This is what I want to make sure that you understand. I'm not asking you to be my disciple. I'm not asking you to think like Chris thinks. I'm not asking you to do what Chris wants you to do because I am problematic. I'm doing my best to, do, to, to try to think like Jesus thinks myself. But imagine what happens if all of us try to pursue a life like Christ. If all of us say, God, I just want to get closer to you. I, I want to be the best husband I can be. Show me how you love the church. Because the Bible says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. You look for an example of how we should love our wives. We should love our wives like Christ loved the church. God, show me how to be the best parent you can be. God shows us how to be a parent in Genesis. When he creates man and man does wrong, God shows us how to be a parent. Everything that you need to know about your life is found in the word of God. But you have to be willing to put yourself in a position where you're going to learn, live, love, and lead. It takes for you to have a desire, for you to make a decision, and for you to be determined to reach the point that God asked you to do. This is the journey to become. It's all in your hands. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with God. It's about the decisions that you're going to make that will determine what you will become. His decision made sure that we know that all he ever became was the rich young ruler. What is it that God wants you to become? What is it that God has for you? The other day I was leaving, and I'm ending on this. I was cleaning up a house. Sean was with me. Horrible, stinky house. Horrible, stinky house. <laughs> we were cleaning up a house, and we were leaving the house. And as I left the house, I was driving and being cleaning these nasty houses, guys, I mean, gutting them out, you think of all type of critters on you. You don't want to be with it. So I'm driving. I kept seeing something flicker on my shoulder. And I was like, this better not be no spider. This better not be no baby mouse. What is this on my shoulder? I was just panicking. What was this? And, and so I, I looked over and I just glanced at one of them scary looks and I just scary looked over there and I seen it. 
and it, was, it just happened to be a caterpillar. And I was like, whoa, this is beautiful, just a caterpillar. And so I, I, I got the caterpillar off me, and I started to flick it out the window, but instead I just left it, I let it sit in my car, I drove home, and I pulled up, and my son, he was there, and I, and I put the caterpillar on the paper, and I told Isaiah, hey, Isaiah, this is a, a caterpillar, and Isaiah's one of them kids, he don't fool with insects, I don't like it, it just bothers me, it's a problem. <laughs> and I had to tell Isaiah that, Isaiah, this is a caterpillar, and you know what caterpillars become? They become butterflies. And I said, this thing has the ability to become something beautiful, but we have to put it in the right environment. And so Isaiah, I just don't want to throw it out the window. I need you to take it to the bushes, to the trees, so that it can eat. And Isaiah took the paper, and he put it on the tree. And it just began to walk and, and look around. And so Isaiah went out there the other morning, and he went out there the other morning, and he saw it. He says, Dad, I think it's starting to make its cocoon. It's actually going to become something. The reason why I stress this to you, because God loves you enough that he has put you in the right place where you can become something. It's not going to happen overnight, but I promise you that he loved you enough that he says, I'm not going to allow anything to destroy you. I'm not just going to throw you anywhere. I'm going to put you in the right place so that you can become something. My only prayer is that you allow God to work in your life, to work in your marriage, to work in your finances, work on your job. Whatever it is, I'm praying that God works in your life and that you don't walk away from what God is trying to do with you. Amen. Can we stand and give God a hand clap of praise? He is worthy of the praise. He's worthy of the honor. Listen, as 